Sales Tuners, Episode 76, Max Outschuler, CEO at Sales Hacker. There's a lot of things that are going to change as, as millennials kind of become more and more of the workforce. You know, main thing that, that you know, I see changing now in many organizations is promotion pathing. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's sales tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Amy Poehler, who said, ignore what other people think. Most people aren't even paying attention to you. Today, I'm joined by Max Outschuler, founder and CEO of Sales Hacker. Max has become an expert at using technology to accelerate his own sales cycles and leverage those skills to write the book Hacking Sales, the playbook for building a high-velocity sales machine. Simultaneously, he founded Sales Hacker, which he has grown from a four-person meetup to a 30-city international community of actual practitioners. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. You've heard me talk about them for a couple of months now, but you have to check out Costello. It's a deal management platform that aligns frontline sales reps, managers, and VPs so they can work together to consistently close more deals. They help reps get the right deal information from prospects, give reps and managers visibility into the quality of every deal, and help sales leaders understand what's working and what's not. Check it out at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 76. But now, let's get to the conversation where Max talks to me about his personal goal of avoiding winter and chasing the sun year-round. Yeah, so I have two passports and two different, uh, both passports have had pages added to them. So you have to add like, I think 52 pages to your passports. So it's been, it's been a blast. I mean, my, you know, my personal goal is just to chase the sun. I want to be in, in good weather all the time. I want to see the world. I love being immersed in different cultures and I love that I can work from really wherever. So like the last three of the last four years, uh, three of the last four Decembers I spent in Bali. Uh, but two of those times I wrote full length books. One of them, Hacking Sales, is published by Wiley. The next one, Career Hacking for Millennials, is going to be out in March. So I wrote that one the last trip. Um, did a December in Japan, um, in the Philippines, uh, a couple stints in Brazil, speaking at conferences. And then our meetups were in 32 cities globally. So I was able to, to, to intertwine work into a lot of these different trips. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been great. You know, you want to live a, a well-balanced and fulfilling life. And, you know, I think that's the key to, you know, long-term happiness and long-term success is, is that fulfillment piece. It's not about being heads down in one place all the time and being stuck in that kind of routine, especially, uh, I think where my life is positioned right now with, without any kids, now's the time to do it. I think what I'm hearing you say there, Max, is that you're, you're living the life that you designed, that you chose to live. And I think that's something that's just, it, it's, it's really starting to catch on now, but people before didn't even think that was possible. What was the first thing that made you, made that click for you that you could do this? Yeah. When, when sales hackers started making money, I think it's really when I said, okay, this could be a business where I can, I can live the dream and, and run it remotely. 
And in a lot of ways, you know, how we make money is, you know, we're an audience as a service. So just like you for, for, you know, or for anybody doing podcasts and webinars, you probably make the most, you know, the bulk of your money from sponsorships because people want to access, you know, the, the folks that are listening. And so for us, it's the same thing. You know, we, you know, for, for the people who contribute our content, we're a place for them to be able to contribute and get out there to more people than they'd be able to get out to just posting on LinkedIn or on their company blog. And for our audience, we're a place that they can come and learn uh, and get a real education in sales in an updated education in sales, you know, up to the minute from practitioners who've been there, done that um, for free. But for our sponsors, they get access to salespeople backed by budget. Salespeople who are employed at companies that are investing in sales training, sales technology, sales recruiting, and overall sales innovation. Well, let's get specific into that, Max. In this show, we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that's led to your success. So dive more into that. What is exactly, those who don't know, what is Sales Hacker and why does that typical customer actually buy from you? Sales Hacker is a media company focused on all things future sales. So we want to help everybody get better um, at the practice. Uh, everything's actionable and tactical, you know, not really full of high level like, well, here's what, you know, social selling versus cold calling looks like. It's no, it's here's how to sell and here's how to sell using LinkedIn. Here are a couple tactics and best practices from actual practitioners doing it and crushing their quotas doing it. Here's, you know, from people who've been cold calling for 25 years, time tested things you can do uh, to connect with people on the phone. But then here's somebody who's, you know, hasn't been cold calling for that long, but has figured out how to build some kind of system that allows them to connect more than anybody, you know, ever has on their team because they're leveraging things that are new to sales. So it's interesting that when you can get the uh, perspectives from somebody who's a seasoned veteran and has those, you know, time tested, you know, strategies they've been using forever and, and those things are those things are gonna work. But it's also, you know, equally interesting when you can find somebody who maybe is new to the game and was like, well, this didn't this technology didn't exist, you know, even five years ago. And here's another thing that didn't exist exist even a year ago. What if I put these two things together? Is this gonna help me um, you know, break away from the rest of the pack? You know, is this gonna help our team or our, our company get a lot further uh, while doing a lot less actual manual work? It's a really interesting time to be in sales. I couldn't even imagine how many articles I've read on Sales Hacker. So love the content that you're creating there about the future of sales. But before we completely talk about the future, I want to talk about how you got started in sales. So take me way back. How did you break into to the industry? I've always been in sales. I think like sales is in everything you do, obviously. And my dad is a uh, financial advisor, still working, um, but he was always a one-man shop. And he always instilled in me the value of relationships and empathy and you know, how to do things the right way. And so I kind of carried that into my life in a, in a lot of different ways. So, you know, when I was a little kid, I would collect um, Pokemon cards and I wasn't, I didn't watch Pokemon. I didn't actually know, you know, what any of the characters were, but I'd go to the flea market and I knew exactly the values of all the Pokemon cards. So I I'd memorized them or I've had them written down and then I'd trade up, trade up, trade up with other kids who didn't really know. And then I'd go to the flea market and sell them back for a lot more money. So it was like, that was probably my first little business I had going where I was making pretty good money on it. Cause I was going out and buying these like $3 pack of cards. And then I'd trade up and I'd have like, you know, 60 or $80 worth of cards um, that I could sell back at the flea market. 
were selling back to you know other other kids that were buying. And then you know ended up doing a social media company where our goal was to make American money while living abroad. So we ran that from Costa Rica and Nicaragua uh, for a couple months, and that wasn't going to scale either. So I parlayed that into a job at a company called Udemy, an online education marketplace that was had just gotten some small seed funding and um, really like wasn't a big name company yet. But I saw that it had you know amazing potential and. You know, I really wanted to um, to get into something that had like a large uh, total addressable market, so that I could build a more scalable sales process from scratch and leverage a lot of technology. And um, that was a big one. So I went in there and I, I built the supply side of that marketplace. And I feel like Max, like was it the the Udemy experience is what led to your book Hacking Sales? So everything that's in Hacking Sales is exactly what it did at Udemy, which is you know, leveraging technology and virtual assistants in the Philippines to build a, you know, to basically do uh, predictable revenue. Let's get specific yeah. about that, though, because I, I love what you're saying. You know, I read predictable revenue back in, I think, like 2011. Uh, I, I feel like it, it spawned uh, many of the the companies like SalesLoft and Outreach. I was even trying to build, re, yeah. uh, build a, a software platform like that as well. So it was fantastic. But you were doing it kind of outsourced labor to the Philippines. Break that down for mm-hmm. me. What specifically did that mean? What were you doing? I actually ended up reading predictable revenue like six months into my job at Udemy and I had already just built all that out. I was like, damn, like, if I only had been able to <laughs> book like six months ago, I would have spent a lot of stuff up. But, um, but we ended up building it that way anyway. So my VAs in the Philippines acted as our SDRs. And our sell, our sales process was a pretty heavyweight sales process. Now it wasn't it wasn't um, you know enterprise sales, but it was going to people who were very successful authors on topics that inside of technology, like programming, for example, you know, we'd, we'd go to somebody who, um, what's a popular language like Python or Ruby on Rails or whatever. We needed to find somebody who could teach courses on that to put on the Udemy. And we'd find authors who were comfortable writing books, but had no idea about creating courses. You know, do you need like crazy video soft, you know, video hardware, a bunch of different recording software. Like it's a pretty heavyweight sell to get somebody who's, used to writing books where publishers do most of the work after they just put this stuff on paper to get in there and teach a course. And so we had a team of virtual assistants in the Philippines um, as our SDRs, and they were armed with, you know, we had a license of Tout app, which is, you know, similar to, to sales off and outreach, but was one of the earlier versions. And then we had these VAs going out and building massive lists of our ICP. So if we said, okay, we need... We need a course on Microsoft Excel. How do we go out and get a course on Microsoft Excel? We don't have any courses on Microsoft Excel. I'd go out to Amazon. I'd go out to YouTube, a bunch of other like content networks. And I had an SEO keyword tool where they would type in, um, they would basically upload this like list and it would turn out every possible string that you could use to search for somebody who taught a Microsoft Excel course. So if I wanted them to find people who were already teaching Microsoft Excel courses or writing books, and they were going to look that up in Google, I had to make very clear directions for them. So I would say, okay, learn uh, Excel courses, learn Excel beginners, learn Excel intermediate, learn Excel uh, videos. And then, you know, you'd be able to change each of those up so that those strings would populate in this SEO keyword searching tool so that these VAs could then go 
uh, copy and paste the entire string and put it into all these different content search tools. So for example, they would go to Amazon and they would do, you know, Excel and they would find the top rated courses and then they'd go uh, down the rabbit hole and find the contact information for those instructors. Then they'd go, you know, on Google and they'd type in every different string of how to learn Excel. And then they'd, you know, go back down the rabbit hole and find all the contact information. So next thing you know, they've got this massive list built of people who are already pros at Excel and have taught Excel in one way or another, just not in a like nicely compact online course yet. And then we'd go reach out to them and, you know, convince them to do online courses. It was like kind of like clockwork where they were out there setting up, you know, meetings for me and it just worked. It worked like a machine uh, because we had these VAs in the, in the Philippines. So we had this, you know, this piece of technology. So let's talk about that though. I, I love, I love the machine that you built there, but it couldn't have all been peaches and rainbows and butterflies. So talk to me about some of that, like what, what didn't work, but uh, you know, it, it couldn't have all been uh, peaches and rainbows and butterflies. So talk to me oh, about no. some of that, like what, what didn't work? Double emailing was a big problem. So somebody would be like not interested and then you get another email a week later and you'd be like, guys, what the hell? Like I told you I wasn't interested. So that's never good, um, you know, because then your domain strength uh, when you're emailing, uh, you know, gets knocked a little bit, especially if they're marking it as spam. One of the other guys who was, was working on this project that we hired told one of the VAs to go do um, who is domain lookups to find contact information which is something we like explicitly never told them to do, but didn't tell this person that we told them not to do it. So we emailed somebody that had a phishing email and it sh- we actually ended up shutting down TowDap. Oh, we wow. TowDap servers for a day. So me and TK, the TK's CEO of TowDap, actually still joke about that, the day we shut down TowDap. <laughs> um, I'm glad we can laugh about it now. Today, but, yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at the time, I'm sure, you know, TowDap was on fire. And, you know, it, it was not good because, like, we had this similar investors. They were pretty pissed off. And so we had to get to the bottom of it. You know, this poor guy, like, he didn't know he was doing anything wrong. He just thought that was a smart way of doing it. I'm hearing a lot of this, like, you know, scrappy and, you know, the, the, even the, the hacker kind of uh, con- connotation there. But it's really just making, it's testing things at scale to see what works and doesn't work and then double down on the things that do work. But it feels yeah. like to me, Max, a lot of, uh, I'll say junior or early sales reps today, they're not willing to go uh, just try stuff and ask for, they, they, they want it kind of packaged for them, handed to them on a silver platter. And, and I'm, I'm struggling with that. And, and you can push back if you don't agree. But like, for instance, when I go into a client, they're like, look, I, I need a database. I got to have 5,000 contacts if you want me to do any prospecting. I'm like, well, hold up. How about you go create the list, right? How about you employ some of the tactics, Max, that you're talking about? But talk to me about that. Are, are you seeing that? And, and how can we overcome that today? I was talking about failure and how you always have to accept blame. Um, and you can't just pass off the blame because then you don't learn anything from it. And I think it's the same thing in a lot of these sales orgs. Like if something doesn't work, it's it's not on the it's not necessarily on the refs, it's on the org. It's on whoever the VP is or sometimes whoever the CEO is and what they're what they're saying needs to be done. You know, I've seen sales orgs that are like, oh, we need to hire fifty SDRs this year. It's like that's like one a, one a week. That's ridiculous. How are you supposed to how are you supposed to ramp and train SDRs properly if that's how you're doing it. If you're, if like you have to grow that fast and then you're worried that, uh, or you're, you're pissed off when they're doing things the wrong way or, you know, uh, not taking advantage of 
new technology or not getting, you know, thinking outside the box because they never trained properly in the first place. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it falls on, on management, um, trying to move too fast sometimes and not putting like an actual process in place, uh, and not giving them the, you know, the tools they need to succeed. I hear a lot from people still saying that, uh, you know, sales has no budget. And it's like, well, why is that? Now, they're, the, they're the ones bringing in the money. Why does sales have no budget? And I think that's changing big time. I, I guess I'm struggling with that a little bit because, you know, go back to your days at Udemy. Uh, it doesn't sound like you had a budget. You were just, you were making things happen. You were figuring it out and it all wasn't kind of packaged. You weren't trained on how to do that stuff. Again, you were just figuring it out. So where does that balance sit? I was just figuring it out, but I was also an entrepreneur who was thrown into uh, like I, I was building the sales side of that marketplace. When you have a marketplace, yet it's basically like building two businesses at once. So I'd say I'm a little bit more entrepreneurial than the average sales rep who's thrown into a you know mid market you know SDR role at a hyper growth company. And there's probably a little bit more red tape for them to go through. But I, you know I had a I had a call or actually a podcast I did earlier this week, and one of the guys on the podcast was a rep. Is just about to take over and like full cycle remote enterprise position, and he was picking my brain about how to hire these VAs, and he's like, "I'm going to do it on my own dime." And I was like, "That's that's what you need to do. That's that's a genius move. If your commission is uncapped or and your your deals are big enough, go out and spend the money on a VA on your own, and and let them go out and build databases for you, and let them go out and do a bunch of work, you know, and." Uh, Get more bang for your buck because there's certain things in your job as a salesperson that only you can do. And if you're going to do that, your time is worth more than the time of somebody that you know somebody that you're outsourcing it to. The whole sales hacking mentality is doing more with less because that's what I had to do, you know, at Udemy because we didn't have we didn't have a lot of budget. You know, we couldn't go out and spend a lot of money on things. I couldn't just grow my sales force for the sake of growing my sales force. We were a small, scrappy company. And, uh, you know, even with Sales Hacker now, we're the same. I guess that's where I was trying to get at is like in this world where, you know, there, there, there is an abundance. I know one of the things you've said is data is cheaper and more accessible than ever. So if I'm an uncapped commission sales rep, I, I'll go spend my own money and I've done it. Like I literally have been an, a sales rep and a VP of sales for other people's companies where I will spend my own money to go do certain things because I know that it brings me back even more money uh, in through commissions and bonuses and all that kind of stuff. So I guess that's what I was uh, kind of looking for. One of the things, Max, that you talk about with the future of sales is to start to design your sales stack so that customers come to you. Can you can you dive into that? What do you mean by that? How is that? How, how are we doing that? How are you optimizing for that as we go into the future? Yeah. So the entire hacking sales kind of model was, um, it was almost like building outbound to bring, to deliver inbound. So, you know, instead of, traditional inbound where you're writing content or you're running ads and they're coming in through content or ads, you're sending these emails and they're, they're optimized, optimized to the point where um, people are coming to you. People want to hear more about what you're offering. So it's just like doing, uh, it was almost like delivering ads to their inbox at that point because it was so systematic in a sense. And we were doing cadences before a lot of these companies were able to do cadences because we had these you know, VAs in the Philippines monitoring the flows. Um, now, the, now the software is so robust. Um, for some of the stuff, you don't even need the VAs for. But you know, there, there are a lot of different tools you can, you can leverage now besides for, you know, there's um, 
these chatbots now on uh, like Drift and Intercom that are amazing for allowing people, you know, somebody hits your site, you can have a qualification uh, conversation right there, right on the site, real time. And then by the time you set up the next call, it's straight to the demo. You don't need to, you don't need to have a, a conversation in order to have another conversation. So, you know, we're just getting further and further down the sales process as we have, as we kind of start leveraging more and more technology. It's an interesting time. It would be interesting to see where the sales development role ends up in the next, uh, in the next like 10 years or so. It's funny that you mentioned Drift. I actually have a conversation with David Cancel coming up here uh, in the next couple of weeks as well. So I want to lean into that a little bit. You talk about the concept of AI and chatbots, and uh, you're talking about how the buyer now has access to so much. Are, are we moving to a place where sales is going to become less essential for companies? Definitely not less essential, but different. Changed. Not the same way that it is now. I mean, and the way that it is now is a little bit dated. I think that if you look at how some of these conversations are formed, it's you know somebody going out, doing outbound, hitting up multiple different contacts in an organization, trying to figure out if they have a need for something or tell them that they have a need for something, then having a discovery call to qualify them, then you know to the demo, you know just just moving along that sales process that way. Um, it doesn't seem to make the most efficient use of anybody's time. I think that's going to change. I think, you know, especially with Drift and G2 and those types of products, I think you're just going to be able to see companies getting a lot further down the funnel with a lot less, a lot less work on either side. You know, there's their GDPR, which is going to change a lot of like a lot of the ways people do outbound. I think channels going to become a, a much bigger piece of the puzzle and like not traditional channel, like resellers and OEM so much, but channels as in, People like us, like if you're a sales vendor and you want to reach an audience, you can go through us and, and reach an audience pretty quickly. Your targeted audience. I think, you know, a lot more of these media companies are going to start switching to, to these kind of like sponsored models, um, audience as a service almost. Um, and I think the audience is going to be okay with that because as long as it's done in a tasteful manner, they're only going to interact with these companies when they want something. So you've talked about how that's going to change the sales environment. What about for the specific companies? And, and here's where I'm going with that. I know, you know you're a millennial yourself. Uh, you've, you've come up with the notion that we need to formulate a millennial-driven sales strategy for uh, inside of organizations. What's that going to look like as we, as we go into the future? There's a lot of things that are going to change as, as millennials kind of become more and more of the workforce. The main thing that, that you know, I see changing you know, now in many organizations is kind of promotion pathing. So making sure that when people come into the organization that they that there's a somewhat of a a track or options for a track for these uh for these reps. So in the past, you know, it'd be, all right, you're gonna be an SDR or, you know, this level of an account executive for three or four years, and then you're gonna move up to like this level of an account executive for, you know, a couple of years. And now it's it's being a lot there there's like a better expectation being set in a lot of organizations that I'm looking at. So for example, they'll have a junior SDR and a senior SDR, or they'll have a SMB mid market and enterprise, you know, SDRs and you you're in each of those for six months and then you can move up to an AE and then you have the same kind of levels there. So it's a, a better kind of um, expectation being set on your promo path. Uh, I'm also seeing a lot of companies that are getting people in as, you know, SDRs or MDRs, so inbound 
versus outbound. Um, and they'll do MDR first, and they go into outbound for the SDR. Uh, maybe they go into MDR, and it turns out that they you know, are a much better fit for customer success. They go into the customer success track. So a lot of people are using um, sales development or companies using sales development to kind of get people into the into the company and and you know into their careers, the start of their careers, and really figure out kind of you know where that person wants to fit into the rest, like where their where their track is. What's what are they going to fit into their, for the rest of their careers? So we talked about the sales environment as a whole. We talked about the organization and the changes that are going to happen there. What about the individual rep? One of the things you've told me, Max, is that people need to quit thinking about the short term and optimize for the future. Tell me more about that. What, are, what do you mean by that? When you're a rep and you're looking at you know, two different job opportunities, you're looking at short term, like which one's going to pay me the most money, or you're looking at long term. Which one am I going to learn the most from, build the best network, and get further in my career for you know, if there's an opportunity out there, you're weighing two different opportunities. One's going to pay you 10K more on, on OTE, but the other one is, you know, a better VP that's going to teach you more, that's going to dedicate his time, his or her time to, to you know, uh, taking you to meetings and, you know, uh, teaching you and building your network and helping you connect with, like, their peers and, um, you know, get you further in your career faster. You know, when you're ready to move on to your next role, there's either a track for you with that company or they're going to leverage their connection to, to put you in a good place. That seems like a much better opportunity than the one that's going to pay you 10K more, especially if you're not even asking the right questions. So if you're a rep and you know, you're know you going to, you're going, you're thinking about this and which one do I take? And the OTE at that company is 10K more, but you haven't asked the question, how many of the you know reps at the company hit quota last year or last quarter, then you don't really know if it's 10K more. You don't really know because you don't know how many of those reps hit their quota. Maybe it's 30%. So the odds that you're going to make that 10K more are actually really low because I, I guarantee you your compensation is split between your base and, you know, some kind of variable, you know, whether it's kind of, you know, commission or bonus or what. So you might not even make that 10K more. So just asking the right questions, you know, knowing what the right questions are to ask, you know, I'm sure you can find online or in podcasts like these if you don't have a mentor. But, it, you know, asking the right questions and then you know, optimizing for, for your future, for the long term over the short term. Well, I think, that, yeah, I think that's incredibly valuable. I think, you know, to summarize a lot of what you're saying is like, let's just make sure we get in the right room with the right people. Right. And, and optimize for that, especially early. Max, this is this is awesome stuff. I've got to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to our sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Whether you're a sales leader looking to grow your team or a sales rep looking to level up with a new gig, you've got to see what my friends at Treeline are up to. As a sales exclusive recruiting firm, they are much more than just resumes. Using their proprietary technology and more than 20 years experience, Treeline helps mutually define the right fit between each company and the type of rep they need to be successful. So if you're done spending money on job boards and wasting your time screening unqualified candidates, pause this show now and go to treeline-inc.com. That's treeline-inc.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Max, are you ready for the money round? Go for it. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Learning from failure. Accepting the blame and learning from it. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Reading, listening to podcasts, and trying to connect with, connect with as many people as possible so I could build a, 
a network of mentors because you're going to need it. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I love to win. And why? Because I hate to lose sounds so negative, but it's probably the truth. I just don't want to face it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know the right answer. Um, I, I definitely hate to lose, um, but I think it's about focusing on on winning is more focusing on winning is more important than conservative going conservative and just saying I just don't want to lose. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Greatest Salesman in the World by Ogmandino. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Max's suggestion of The Greatest Salesman in the World for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for The Greatest Salesman in the World. Max, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? I just checked off Country 80. Um, Not that it was like a, a race to that number, but I've pretty much been to, to most of the places I really, really wanted to go. I'd say I wanted I want to do a um, silverback gorilla trek because I'm a, I, I love I love silverback gorillas. That's probably my 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 favorite animal, my go-to animal. I really want to see them in the wild, and you could do it in Burundi, uh, Uganda, Congo, Rwanda area, and so you could track them through the volcanoes. That'd be pretty cool. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Keep it going. Have thick skin. Keep your head up basic stuff, but it's true. If you, if you just keep at it, you know, you never really fail because to fail, you got to quit. So just keep going. If you want to stay connected with Max, he said LinkedIn and Twitter were the best way to do that. But he also shared on the offline, a healthy coffee alternative he's developed called Sutra. If you're interested in caffeine-free coffee, yes, I said caffeine-free, check out sipsutra.com. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, Outsource list building. While you need to own the process of creating and validating your ideal customer profile, you can and should outsource the data gathering. Using the idea of virtual assistants from countries like the Philippines, building targeted lists of prospects can be done quick and cheap. Number two, build outbound to create inbound. Instead of blasting inboxes with requests for 15-minute conversations, leverage your outbound messaging to deliver information that entices prospects to click through to your site. Then, using a chatbot tool like Drift, those visitors can qualify themselves, generating conversations actually worth having. Number three, optimize for the long term. When comparing opportunities, consider the long term value of opportunities over short term money. OTE is often a mirage. Make sure you ask the question to understand how many reps actually hit quota and achieve that expected OTE. Oftentimes, it makes more sense to take less money today in order to work for a better sales leader or CEO. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there. And they stay there. What would be the absolute worst name you could give your child?